0: The Incomparable, number 314, August 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We're here to talk. It's our comic book club. Hey, look at that. Our comic book club is back. And we're going to talk about uh, a a series of comics from uh, a a person whose name I have a problem with pronouncing but i think david lore will help me out david it would be kurt Busiek. kurt Busiek. kurt that's it's a kurt? kurt kurt it's just kurt kurt Busiek. <laughs> wow. uh yeah i know i managed to mispronounce the wrong name uh anyway david lore is here hi david hi lisa schmeiser also here for comic book club of course hi lisa
1: it's a pleasure to be here
0: tony Sindelar also joins us hi tony hi everybody hello nerds okay you you broke down and you you did your catchphrase look at that people people get angry when i act like a human i'm just Uh, i just don't want to get hit yeah okay fair enough and shannon sutter (laughs) hi Welcome back. Hola, frikis. All right, Comic Book Club is back in session. We we I think we kind of talked ourselves into this in the last episode, but we're going to talk about Astro City by Kurt Busiek. Uh, and uh, it it started in the mid '90s. I never read it. Uh, I, I I've been catching up over the last couple of days, and um, you cost me a lot of money, people, because I'm just going to keep buying them now because <laughs> yes. they're really good. Uh, they're really very good. Yeah. They're from uh, Image originally, and but anyway, it's 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 Kurt, Kurt Busiek's uh, invention. Uh, You may know him from uh, Marvel's. Mm-hmm. Actually is the place where I I uh I mean I think I'd seen his work before but that's the that is one of the comics that really brought me back. I think we talked about this in our Marvel's and Kingdom Come episode that those those comics brought brought me back to comics really when I saw those in the bookstore and uh and and Astro City has some things in common with Marvels I would say. This is a this is I was trying to explain this to my son who asked me today what this thing was that I was reading and I said it's kind of a comic about a city full of superheroes and what it's like to live there. Because that's kind of what it is, um, but I, I I was wondering if those of you who've got more of a history with Astro City could maybe put the what this is into a little more context.
2: Well, it's uh, it's a sort of sparked from reading and writing all the the traditional things from Marvel and DC and all, and the the idea of writing this alternate group of superheroes in this alternate universe, really, uh, that had a history that wasn't just, you know, okay, here's the first issue with this su- superhero, and that's all you see, and then it goes forward. The the stories in Astro City, it's really more of an anthology. And, you know, uh, issues and books can be set in any period in Astro City's history. Uh, they can be single issue stories, they can run to multiple issues. Uh, it's it's kind of amazing. And the freedom of it, you know, when you know that you don't have to do 700 issues with this one hero and his team or his group or his family, uh, it's it's liberating. It's also nice because he's able to do things with these characters that you wouldn't do with Superman or Batman. Uh, th- they can die. They can be changed and transformed in ways that wouldn't happen in a uh, a major comic company's superheroes, uh, so that that adds a little bit to it. Lisa, what's your what's your history with Astro City?
1: It's not as deep as I thought it was, believe it or not, because um, it wasn't one of my must pull titles for Vertigo. And um, I read a few issues, and I liked that. I, I liked how fully developed the universe was that seemed to spring from his head and i've since circled back to it after having marinated much more in marvel and dc and now and and now i even though when i went back and read it again i was just kind of blown away by um how well thought out it is uh it's one of those series where I don't think I'd hand it to somebody who was just getting into comics unless um, that person was like, sure, I I would like to see a reconstruction of the hero mythos in comics. That sounds like something (laughs) that Slate recommended I should read. Um, (laughs) But but, um, if this was somebody who had been reading comics forever and ever and had never gotten around to it, I would would hand this over in a heartbeat and be like, here, read this because you will be amazed at how many different sources he pulls in and how many different conventions this guy effortlessly juggles while managing to create something that's wholly original. Um, so yeah, it was definitely not part of my 20-something comic reading experience. I'm glad that I came back to it, though, which like raises an interesting side question, which are, are, are some comic series just better suited to different times of your comic reading career than others? But that's a whole other podcast.
2: <laughs> I, I think so, because I, I had fallen away from comics, and I, I think I discovered this just after our first child was born. Because I was I was killing time in Indianapolis, and we went to a comic book store. And I'm wheeling him around in the stroller, and I'm, ooh, what's this? And and kind of the way Marvels brought you back into comics, Astro City brought me back into reading long series of comics and and collecting graphic novels again.
0: Yeah, I as somebody who. Has read a lot of comics over the years. I felt like this was for me. Like it was speaking to me about the form and it did, it did give me some Watchmen vibes in the sense that it was, it was trying to. Alan Moore has liked to actually since then too when he's done, uh, some other stuff like, uh, like Top 10. Um, he, he, Kurt Busiek is well aware of all the tropes and is playing them all. The difference is that the, um, it's it's much sunnier and fun than watchmen is and i think was uh in the in the foreword to the first trade he says as much that it was intended to be that way but i feel like I, I i totally agree uh i get a lot more from it having seen a lot of different superhero comics over the years and so knowing what he's playing with and what he's saying and and being able to appreciate it on on that other level that he's playing yeah.
3: with i i would agree with that
0: so I should also explain so there the, the, there are three different runs of Astro City. The first was 1995 um mm-hmm. and the the uh second was what? 1996. They they it was a short run mini series and then there was a longer run 96 and then um there've been some standalones. Yeah, there was like a mini
2: series in 2003.
0: Yeah, and then it, starting so. in 2013, a monthly series has debuted and it continues to be published to this day. Which means that if you're living on the trades, there are 13 trades now of Astro mm-hmm. City,
2: and they're all good. Hmm. Oh my
0: god! <laughs> Again, you're costing me money.
2: Sorry, <laughs> I'm going to have to
1: pick up so much freelance work. So, but the oh ones
0: that god. we, the ones that we wrote, <laughs> or the ones that we read, were, were uh, "Life in the Big City" and "Confession." That's a good place to start. Um and those are both available uh, in print and digitally. I think Life in the Big City just yeah. got a, a, a reprint recently. So those are all those are all coming back yeah. out now. Start at the beginning, the Jason Snell method. So, I think yeah. so. This is sort of the Syracuse yeah. method. But I mean, I was just why gonna not? say that. Yeah.
2: I, I don't always go for the Syracuse method, but with this, even though I, it's an anthology <laughs> Starting
4: at the beginning does not get a name. What would be clear. <laughs> That is the recommended way to <laughs> consume
2: things. <laughs> But even even though it's an anthology and you could theoretically dip in at any point, it's just so much richer when you start from the beginning. There's so many little things that pay off later. Sure. And it's, it's more fun when you get them early and you go, oh, will he ever come back to it? And yeah, he will. <laughs> the
0: answer is almost always yes, I would think.
3: The other thing that struck me in rereading it, um, the first time I encountered Atro- Astro City was uh, back in the late 90s. It, it was already being collected um, by the time Chip and I started reading it. But Chip had gotten me back into comics um, after a long, long time of not reading them uh, by way of Sandman. So I was already open to different and other um, serialized storytelling in graphic format. Um, and for me, Astro City... As you said, there's a strong Watchmen vibe, although even though I watched, I read Watchmen after I read Astro City, if I remember correctly, but Astro City has the benefit of not being a single storyline. Uh, if I understand correctly, Watchmen was always intended to be that one short yes. run, one story by Alan Moore. Here, Busiek has the time to really develop these characters much more than um, the snapshots that we learn bit by bit during Watchmen. We, you know, the character development happens with the story. Here, there's whole issues devoted to essentially character development um, yes. or developing the world of showing different bits and pieces, different viewpoints. Um, so being able to take your time in developing this alternate, um, as we said, alternate universe. Um, where the superhero tropes are there, but can be upended, can be changed, can, you know, go in any direction that he wants. Um, was really attractive. See, I don't get the Watchman vibe. Um
1: and and I understand why there's the tem I understand why, but when I was rereading, especially volume one, it seems like Busick has infinite amounts of compassion for his characters. And um yeah. And there's there's I, I love look, I, I love Watchmen, don't get me wrong. Um and I I think that there is a, a great howling humanism at the heart of Morris work, but he is pretty pitiless when it comes to his characters. He's he's really unsentimental
3: as to their motivations and who they are. Yeah. I think for me the the Watchmen thing happened partly because of the undercurrent of questioning the superheroes i mean you have this entire subplot especially in the second volume that we all read of you know basically the population just sort of you know turning on the heroes and questioning you know either why are you doing this you're hurting us or why aren't you doing more you're not Mm -hmm. protecting us enough and there's a lot of that questioning and coming apart at the seams sort of in Watchmen for me, and that's where I saw the parallels.
4: I I see a lot of connections there, too. I mean, because there's all the questions of, like, you know, if we actually had super-powered people wandering around, what would all the problems be? Like, that wouldn't just be a panacea, right?
1: What was funny about Volume 2 is I read that, and I thought, this is just showing you how badly Marvel Marvel bungled the Civil War plotline, both in comics and the the movies. (laughs) Like, the whole time I was reading this, I thought, this is so much more plausible, the way it's unfolded, and the reactions – of the the reactions of the superpowered you know the vigilantes and the superheroes and all that, like the way they respond and the way the crowd responds and the way one thing naturally leads to another makes so much more sense than civil war as a comic book or civil war <laughs> as a movie ever did. And it predates it by by quite a few years too. So it's not like the people who wrote Civil War were unaware of the options they had.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I had avoided Watchmen for years. And I wound up reading Watchmen after Astro City. As a result, I don't like Watchmen. (laughs) I love Astro City. I can see that. I'm with uh, Tony. I I do feel like...
0: uh there, there are there are vibes there. There are also, I mean, references to Marvels. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. the the young reporter story in the first uh, ah, trade yes. is is so cl- very clearly by the same guy who wrote Marvels. I I, I, I could I see that resonance in there too because he's making similar sort of comments. And you've got the old heroes that's like, oh well, there's a past generation of heroes. You've got the whole thing about are we going to have our our heroes register that had a little of the vibe. I would say. It, it It's like it in some ways, but it's also diametrically opposed in others because it is a very different kind of view of the world than Alan Moore brings to it, even though they're trotting on uh the same uh source material essentially. The anthology part of this also I found fascinating the fact that that we uh get to see that you know there's the story about the uh the the young reporter and that leads to which is a flashback that that's a really great little short story. Uh, we learn about the Samaritan who is your Superman uh, figure and he's always rushing from place to place and we, we find out that he's got a secret identity that's very clever because it allows him to close the <laughs> close and lock the door and then go save the world and then just kind of pop back out and like, oh yeah, I'm going to lunch and then continue to save the world and then we, we kind of, th- then there's an issue later where, where we, uh, he, there's almost like a little intervention between the the Superman analog and the Wonder Woman analog, where they're both like, "You people are really busy. You should take. You should go out on a date because you it both need to time. lighten up a little bit."
4: <laughs> and and rather than just having a story about his back, his origin story, we learn his origin story as he's divulging it on a date. Yeah, yeah. Yes. which
2: yeah, which is
1: great. I'm such a sucker for anthologies, though. Period. Yeah. Like, I love the Robert Asprin Thieves World for the for the same reason. Um, yeah, edited by George R, R. R. Martin. Um, if you, uh, the, um, and, and Jason and I have both, I think, talked in the past about the wild cards anthologies. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so this was like right up my alley. And what I liked about <laughs> the two selections we had was the first, the first trade is an anthology where you begin to get pieces of, um, this world and how it hangs together. And, what I love about the first one is it balances civilian perspectives with the perspectives of the people who, you know, um, are our heroes, or the people who want to invade the planet. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh.
4: Also, they're all parts of the society, you know. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and then
1: what I love about Confession is how it's one long arc that rewards people who've right. been paying attention through the first through the first collection. And it hangs together as a story beautifully and still keeps adding all sorts of backgrounds and little hooks for stuff that you hope will come up in subsequent volumes too. Like, I really love the crossbred. <laughs>
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I love the uh, almost Twilight Zone episode uh, kind of yeah. thing, which is the one about the guy who discovers the secret identity of one of the superheroes and yes. he keeps of a, a, a Jack in the box and he keeps he just sort of accidentally yeah. sees him take off his mask and
3: he has no idea what to do. And yeah. he
0: plays through all the scenarios where everybody he knows is a criminal and it always ends up with him getting killed. And he ends up uh, at the end, just taking a bus out of town
1: to Alaska.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's just, and it's such a, I mean, you wait for Rod Serling to stand on the corner as the bus pulls away and say, this poor little man didn't uh, know what to do with his information. He can keep it to himself in the twilight zone. It was that kind of feel. It's so great to have that versatility.
1: I love how it also basically shoots the origin story of villains in the kneecaps too. Cause in comics a lot, there's (laughs) now that I know your identity, I can ruin your life. And this guy is like, I have this information and it's literally going to get me killed. There's no way this works well for me. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's a great, um, there's another great uh, story that is a single issue anthology story, which is about the, uh, the, uh, there's the, the place that's up against the mountain, right? In Astros. Oh, yeah. Shadow, Shadow, Shadow Hill. I the, love the, the Shadow Hill. Hill. Right? And, great place and, to live. And, and it's about, about a woman who lives there and works in the city and her parents kind of think that she's going to leave them. And, and she, and, and, and we learn, this is how we learn about Shadow Hill and the fact that they have like special wards and precautions. Because there's strange creatures that lurk there at night. Eldritch powers are are at play,
3: and everyone's like, "Yeah, that's okay. That's a thing." Introduces the mystic side. The fact yeah. that, that this this universe happily, like, just like a lot of other comic universes, happily mixes, you know, science fiction versus meta-human versus um, you know, or advanced science versus mysticism. And this is the this is the story that introduces that. Hey, there's a mystic side to this universe, and does it very well.
0: Yeah, and and that story ends with an unexpected ending, which is that after all of this, and and the woman uh, who's our, our our viewpoint character, ex- sort of exerting her independence, and and uh, she she uh, does what her parents want her to do, which is keep her life on, uh, you know, in her neighborhood instead mm-hmm. of going back out into the downtown of this city, and uh, that was I that kind of blew me away because it was exactly what I did not expect to happen. So just great. I also like that stories. episode
3: because that's where it starts planting seeds of the anti-hero sentiment. Like the, this woman, this uh, POV character sees Winged Victory, the Wonder Woman analog while she's um, on riding the, the bus, bus going yeah. into town. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the people on the bus, some of them are grumbling about, you know, how she's like a cult leader and that sort of thing. And then others are like, don't you dare. She's working for us. So it's like that far back. These seeds of um, people disagreeing about the role of the superheroes in in this universe uh, is already there,
1: and, and you also get to meet the Fantastic Four analog in that world too. The first you, family. The
0: the first family that could be any family i of, didn't get it at first and then i saw one of the uh with one a the, fire guy one of the cover art the one of the cover art things <laughs> where there's the well he's like a lizard orange lizard guy but he totally yeah. is mm-hmm. the thing right a legally distinct it's orange amazing lizard instead of yeah yeah amazing. no it's, yeah.
1: it's 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 pretty it's, it's pretty great and um what i really liked about that story was showing the um stratification or the bubbles that sort of surround or radiate out and that's a theme that they come back to in astro city confession when the person who becomes the altar boy first comes to astro city and um you find out how insular and how wary um capes and vigilantes tend to be and how even among that class there are people that are like there's a reason why there's the irregulars and i just like I, i love how how thoughtful how thoughtfully constructed this world is like there is not a single detail that doesn't make sense or or isn't relevant in some way later. I really love that 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 thoroughness in world building.
2: Yeah, I mean the two of the things that I love in anything good, well, let me try that again. Two of the things that are in common with all of the books and movies and things that I just love beyond reason, they surprise me and they are very well thought out and very well, you know, again that, that kind of world building and and he does that time and again I I can't remember another book where I get surprised as often as this
4: yeah
2: you know if I if I could only take one comic series to a desert island this would be it
1: no I, I love that I love that issue with the uh, young woman who lives on Shadow Hill because it's also a great examination of the immigrant experience too right? or you know mm-hmm. or, or or how one of the unique things about living in a city is people often think about um, urban existences as being pretty cosmopolitan. There's a pretty healthy mix or exchange of ideas. And of course, people who live in cities eat eight different types of ethnic food every week and go to different festivals. And it also points out that, that there are people who are, are pretty much um, committed to the exact opposite of that experience. And for their kids, there's a huge tension between um, you know, the, the, the strong cultural identification Versus having the same kind of uh, flattened out cosmopolitan urban lifestyle that that they may see or among their peers or have in the workplace, and and I thought, well, this is this is actually kind of a comic you should you should have people read if you're ever doing like a class on on the the urban the the immigrant experience in America because I don't know what Bucic's personal history is and I don't know what his background is, but he really seems to capture the tension well between. Um, between generations or between you know people's attitudes towards the the place where they live, and I, it's really nuanced yeah. for a comic.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, this was giving me all kinds. I, I recently, my husband and I um, and our son went to New York City for a vacation, and um, you know the the same idea. I'm fairly certain that Busey pulled from more than New York. That there's probably several different cities that he sort of pulled from to create. Uh, the idea of Astro City, but still, as you said, all of these different areas, uh, the working class neighborhood, the immigrant neighborhoods, the shiny, beautiful downtown, uh, all of these different areas. um, The first trade paperback in the back, there's like a special section where they include some of the maps and the drawings as they were putting together the city. Um, Also, I I admit the only one I actually caught was Kirby, but all of these names of streets, of landmarks, of neighborhoods, all harken back to uh, golden age or earlier comic artists. Mm -hmm. So that was a really cool touch, a way for him to pay homage. But yeah, even reading through these and thinking, you know, I'd have flashes of, you know, the New York experience of um, the fact that, you know, some of the friends that we visited would talk about how, you know, they almost never went to, you know, x neighborhood or why neighborhood because they had their own area that was their bubble their their world their their neighborhood was right there and they didn't have a need to go farther um and setting it up this early with the Shadow Hill episode helps make the later Developments in the second volume with a, with confession more believable as the serial killer starts attacking Shadow Hill residents, right. and there's mm-hmm. an instantly this divide of you know for most of the rest of the city not our problem. It's it's those weirdos. It's those crazy people. You know we'll we'll let other people handle it. Um, that helps build the tension that um, the um, alien invaders take advantage of to. Create even more division to discredit the superheroes, so that they can uh, try to lead up to invasion. Um, it all felt very real.
0: Yeah, I agree. Mm. Yeah.
3: Even as you had eldritch, as you said, eldritch beings guarding <laughs> the neighborhoods and vampires, and um, I, I love and the aliens. Man. Talk about a
0: creepy uh, guardian for for Shadow Hill. It's the, <laughs> yeah. hanged, the hanged man, and it's, so he's got like a. Like a, a noose around his neck and like a burlap sack over his head and he floats around.
1: And yet he's like a beloved
3: neighborhood
0: landmark. Yeah. Like yeah. everybody
3: yeah. who lives there is all hey hang hey, man. You know? <laughs> yeah. Hey hey, but you know, don't look yeah. at me. They they nod to him. They don't expect him to look back.
0: Yeah. Right.
4: <laughs> I like when they do the they the during the alien invasion. And they do the check-ins with all the different cities throughout the world. And they show mm-hmm. that every city has kind of their, their resident.
0: Yeah. You know, many yeah. of them
4: locally themed kind of yeah. ridiculously. Well, uh, Sh- Chicago's the untouchable. Regional, yes. Yeah. New York skyscraper. The Boston silversmith. But you know, but Astro <laughs> city is, is the place with all the, you know, with more superheroes per square mile than anywhere else. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so
1: I have to admit when I read through confession and the penny dropped um, for me, as to what exactly was going on, I actually said out loud, um, are we spoiling a book that's like 20 years old at this point? Or, or do, <laughs> do I have to? Because like I, I said... Holy crap, they made Batman a vampire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was just like, Which I literally, I, like, I literally stopped and just took a moment to let that wash over because it's one of the most, like, you have this cathedral that is basically the, the Winchester mystery house of, 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 <laughs> of consecrated buildings from the way it's described. And then you have, um, again, you have Batman, and he's a vampire and a priest, and it, mm-hmm. and he, you know, he gets his little sidekick, <laughs> the altar boy, and mm. it just—I was like, this, this is, this is amazing. This is, <laughs> oh my god, whoever writes Batman like probably <laughs> cried into their pillow for a week over not having thought of this first because it's just <laughs> such a great idea.
2: <laughs> well, and and in in Batman, it would have had to have been an Elsa world, whereas here it's just the story. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: The vampire Batman. Is always going to be good. Yeah,
1: and Ultra and Boy is, is is an actual adult, which is why it also makes sense, too, is he's a young adult and he's got his own, mm-hmm. you know, orphan thing going on, but he's a grown up. And so that takes away a whole lot of the um, eyebrow raising. You're like, really? Batman is running around with a very young teenage boy solving Solomon He's crimes. still a
4: teenager. I, I think it's yeah. still intentionally somewhat unsettling, and the yes, vampire yeah. aspect only adds to it. I mean, yeah. the it choosing is. the name Alter Boy for your sidekick—that's <laughs> 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 I know, like, I know, right? Now this like, is
1: important. This is a pre-spotlight world. I I, I want to point uh, out, but but still, it's a little bit. It, it is. I admit it's a little bit eyebrow raising, but they do depict him as a young man and not a teenager, so it's not quite as quicky as it could be. <laughs>
3: Yeah, we're, yeah, we're looking at like eighteen, nineteen, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. But
2: yeah, and it's like the the deacon. I mean, yes, okay, you could have you could have an adult sidekick, but just there's something about altar boy. It just sounds right.
4: I just appreciated how gradually things are introduced, right? Like it it, it doesn't. He's not on anyone else's schedule, right? Like, we will get a mention, um, of a character many, many issues. Uh, you know, the, the, the confessor gets mentioned, uh, in the, the alien bug guys, like, you know, basically, mm-hmm. uh, his list of the important heroes to be aware of. And he doesn't appear until many issues later. Um. Yeah. And it's so it's not like we need to set something up now so we can use it in the next issue so that it can be a big thing in the issue after that right. and then, then then we can be done with it. It's like no, there's just this big world. There's lots of little things going on. Uh, various characters are wandering through and doing stuff. Uh, and I, I just I appreciate that. It does. It feels like there's all this stuff, and it's not just there because we need it to be there. It's like no, there's all this stuff because all this stuff is happening in the world.
3: Yeah, um, and to follow on that. Um, the, the Not only is there the luxury of time that uh, Busey gets in creating this world, but there's also the fact that you know he's not constrained by typical superhero tropes. Something that occurred to me as I was reading it this time around um, is the fact that he chooses his point of view characters in such a way that something a storyline that would be like the big storyline it would be like a three four six issue arc uh culminating in this massive climax and in astro city it's almost like it's in the background the alien invasion thing um you know it gets introduced in what the fifth issue of the first trade uh with the bridwell character who is an advanced spy for this um (laughs) yeah For, for, for these aliens. And, you know, at the end he decides, yes, I'm going to call them and they're going to come and invade. And that feels like it gets dropped in favor of, um, the Samaritan and Winged Victory getting a date. And then you've got this totally new character coming in from the outside traveling to Astro City, um, who wants to get to know these superheroes. He He's not looking to become one at that time. He just wants to, you know, be around them. But then circumstances happen. He gets noticed. The confessor takes him on as his sidekick. And the events that are driving the problems, the unrest in the city, we learn later on, were being caused by the aliens taking advantage of the Shadow Hill issue. And then the giant invasion, you know, once the Aliens are revealed and the confessor dies and all the superheroes have to come together. But that's not the focus. Yeah. You you get this background report of what happens in the invasion. And then there's like an, oh, yeah, of course we won.
0: The entire battle with all of Earth's superheroes against an alien invasion fleet is a single page. I'm exactly. not kidding. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, a single like four panels. It's a single page that begins with in the end of course we won. That's the first line <laughs> in that mm-hmm. on that page and I read that thinking to myself, you know, this is this is the thing we've we've done episodes about big events before. You have these you have these huge scale events where it's just, you know, massive carnage and a billion different characters are fighting and as a reader I generally find it uninteresting because you've lost, you know, uh, unless you're focused on on specific characters, it ends up just being kind of like huge scale action and although it sounds really great as an idea from page to page it's actually kind of boring and I mm-hmm. I saw this and I I was sort of gleeful. I was like yeah, four panels, and we beat the aliens. Done. Move. Let's go back to the story.
1: And it's like an it's a small world of of, of heroes too, because you've got oh, it's the kookaburra down in Canberra, yes. Australia, and <laughs> right. then it's the real thing in Atlanta, and then it's the birds of paradise in Rio de Janeiro, and you know the real in,
0: things uh, wears a red suit and he's got a yeah. script on his yes on and his like, front right,
1: and like he emits bubbles or something mm. and then they have trolls up in up in scandinavia and i was just delighted by the respectful attention paid to civic identity there it was it was it was like so much more it, it, it felt so much more fun than you know having oh we have a russian character boys <laughs> and
0: yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and similarly the other big thing in the second volume, uh the Shadow Hill thing gets resolved in a page. It's like after the alien invasion's over and that's done, there's one more murder by the serial killer and then whatever for whatever reason the hangman's figured out what's going on. Yeah. You have this one big page of the hangman in there's this like a giant Cthul- form fighting some Cthulhu creature, thing. Yeah. Mm. And that's resolved. <laughs> and you know, and it's all focused through uh brian the altar boys yeah um mm-hmm. you know own gro- you know it's in the background because we are focusing on him as a character growing it to a point where he steps up and he's mm-hmm. apparently going to be the new confessor and he finally understands and forgives his father
0: um, yep right yeah. right which i think is i think it's really good use of viewpoint too that we we uh and he's very consistent Busiek is with -hmm. the way Brian refers to his father and tells the story of his father. And he starts by saying his father um, was a doctor and he he didn't like make sure people paid and they owed him and then he died and and he died and they had all of these debts and everything was ruined for Brian and he, and he hated everything. And now he's coming to the big Mm -hmm. city. And, and when you get to that moment where he really kind of uh, uh, fights with his, with his mentor, with the confessor. Um, The confessor's comment about his father is, because he says, you're worse than my father. And he says, your father sounds like he was a great guy. I wish I could have met him. And it's like, you realize, you realize as you're reading this, that yeah, you know, we've been, I mean, I, I I I read that he was being angry with his father, right? But it, it, it's like the narrative is very consistent about we're with Brian. Brian has a lot of anger toward his father, but it's really jarring when the confessor just out and says, you know, no, I think your dad was great, and it and it takes Brian another long period of time before he can really come to terms with the fact that his father was a good man, and and although he you know sort of ended up in a putting his family in a difficult place, he was he was being selfless by saving people like a superhero might.
3: Exactly. The parallel there is just so elegant.
0: It is. It's really well done. And you you see, you know, he's a young kid and he has to go through the he has to, like, work through his anger and then grow up and realize uh, what what the you know the reality of the situation was. And and there is time taken because that one goes over multiple issues. There's you get the time to watch Brian go from being his first day in the big city to in the end being a hero in the big city on his own.
1: It's a more plausible transformation than than anything I've seen in the DC universe, I'm going to say. Harking back to sidekicks who get pushed
0: into their own. Yeah, just not naming names or anything. Nightwing. Yeah, not naming names. Anyway. Nightwing.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like Grayson. Um, no. But... <laughs> I, it's, this is just such a thoughtful book. And like, like I I said earlier, there's a huge vein of compassion that goes through it. Because when I read the when I went back and read the first issue with the Samaritan, and then reread it, I just felt so exhausted and so bad for this poor guy. He, he's never the there there is literally nothing in his life to look forward to, except more of the same. And it's not going to stop until he dies. Like, there's just no way he's ever going to be able to retire. And that's horrible.
0: Well, mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this, isn't this the argument? This is the argument about Superman, mm-hmm. right? Is yeah. if, if you taking an hour to read a book. Mm-hmm. Means that you don't stop a dam from bursting somewhere that kills five thousand people. What do you do? You ever read a book then, or do you? Are you literally going all the time? And that's the story of the Samaritan. He is. He can't bear to live through that moment where he doesn't save somebody because he he's taking time off. And the irony here, and they they say this is like there are all these other superheroes. They 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 go out on the date because they're everybody else is basically conspired to say we will mind the store while mm-hmm. you guys. Guys, yeah. go out on a date. Just please do it. We're, you're really hard to be around. <laughs> Take some time, yeah. right? Yeah. You know,
1: it, it, it's interesting because Busiek actually tackles the Superman thing in um, one of my favorite Superman stories to date, the Secret Identity four-issue series he yes. did. That's where fantastic. you know it, It's legitimately a New Yorker writer named Clark Kent who somehow does have powers and um, basically makes a, a devil's deal with the U.S. government to work with or for them over the course of his adulthood. But by the end of the series, the government's like, we have superheroes coming out of our ears at this point. We really don't need you. And um, so to have that, and then to have that pushed back again with the Samaritan, um, it makes me, it, it makes me think that music has a very definite idea over like the psychological toll of being someone like Superman or being someone like Winged, Winged Victory. Um, and, and that, the idea is that if you went at the pace that's presupposed in, in other books, you would be kind of a wreck or a lunatic, one or the other. <laughs> or possibly supernatural, like The Hanged Man. But um,
0: I wanted to ask, um, especially uh, Lisa and Chin, about one of the aspects of Winged Victory that I thought was really interesting is that in that in that date, they have a very interesting debate, she and Samar- Samaritan, where he, he basically says... Um, what's your strategy about who you save, right? Because they're talking about he's obsessed with saving everybody. And, and she says, well, you know, I, I, my goal is to be independent and to look out for women. And that, that's yeah. what I'm mm-hmm. that's what I'm focusing on. And he and he kind of pushes back on her and says, Well, you know, what if there was so there if there was a guy dying and a woman dying and you could save one of them but not the other, you would save the woman. And she's like, Yep, that's what I would do. And I, I thought I kept waiting for that moment where I was like, What is going on? And in fact, he just he just walks the line so beautifully in in letting both of those characters um, not entirely Uh, except where the other one is coming from, but, but letting them walk through that. And I just, I, what, what did you think of, of wing victory and her, like she, she is a, she is explicitly a feminist superhero. This is, she's going to use her powers for feminism. That is her thing. I, I, I think it's fascinating.
3: I
1: like that. He, I like that he took Wonder Woman to the logical extreme because in the books, Wonder Woman is pretty cagey. I mean, oh, she comes from an all-female island and she's divine and so on and so forth. But they've always been really careful with Wonder Woman respecting all life and 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 I think it's because um, you can't have a character like that in DC who says, yeah, you know, I'm, um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm watching out for ladies first without provoking like some big crybaby fan backlash. Um, but what i like about this is the way she lays out her case is um she's like look there's a lot of systemic there's a lot of way the system is stacked against women and statistically speaking women are more likely to be the victims of, of this kind of stuff why would i not do this and um it absolutely makes sense uh because the way uh, samaritan sees it is oh all victims are equal um and he's kind of ignoring whatever built-in Inequality there may be in in the Astro City universe, and that is actually like where she starts from is by taking a look at the built-in inequalities and who has more more advantages and who has fewer advantages and what is she going to do to level that playing field. And I thought it was I thought it was great to have her lay it out so calmly and so and and with such determination and purpose.
3: Yeah, it's a really neat contrast to philosophies because she's not only decided. That, you know, her focus is going to be women first. If she's got to save people, she's going to start saving women first. But she also backs it up, we find out that she operates this whole network of what started out as shelters for women who needed shelter shelter from whatever, domestic violence or um, getting away from parents who, whoever, for whatever reason. And then when she saw that the women were beginning to depend on her too much, she turned these shelters essentially into schools, teaching these women self-defense, teaching them skills, teaching them what they needed to be uh, independent on their own which is why she gets sort of the, the cult tag from some of the people who aren't looking closely at what she's doing um out in the population so she's she's trying her best to back up what she's doing and set it up so that she's not needed as much on the other hand you know the poor samaritan you know he's as she puts it you know he looks he looks at it in a matter in matter of time The maximum number of people I can rescue with the time I'm given. And for him, it can be something huge like stopping a tsunami on the coasts of the uh, Philippines or getting a cat down from a tree for a girl. It, it doesn't matter if it, if it is on his way, if it is where he can do something about it, he does it. Um, there's also the neat bit of the fact that he makes time, even though he knows it's costing lives somewhere in the world. When people want to honor him, when people want to give him that banquet or hand him that plaque thanking him for his service, he does it. Because he learned if he tries to ignore it, people got upset with him and, and angry with him for not letting them acknowledge what he does. Um, so he makes the time to essentially be the perfect superhero, um, even though it is wearing him down. The Wing and Victories approach to everything reminds me sort of of a movie A She-Devil, where um, where
1: the, well, yeah, where the, huh. the spurned wife, no, because the spurned wife is left more or less powerless when her husband leaves her, because he gives her next to no assets. He make, he takes the children. Um, She's left to work a scut job. And uh, although the focus of, although her arc is basically i'm going to ruin his life and she goes around and she does it she does it by built by by starting a temp agency for all of the women in the world who who have been treated as disposable who have been discarded or overlooked or ignored and she empowers them and she helps them create a network of uh, a professional network of women who can help each other too. And um, when, when your victory begins talking about, yeah, we, we have self-defense classes. We have ways to teach these women to be economically and physically independent and, and confident of themselves in the world. I'm like, Oh my God, it's Vesper Rose. <laughs> 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 and I, I find it interesting that that's an idea that actually comes up again and again in a, in a lot of different iterations on, um, how to empower women and it it basically comes down to giving women the tools to take care of themselves. I find it really interesting, however, that it comes up in the comics because that's not something you see a whole lot of in comic book culture at all. Like you very rarely see, um, a concerted effort among women to organize for themselves or for their own benefits, unless it's going to be like some sort of silver age where the Amazons who are here to overthrow the justice league because womenism or whatever. And then you're like, Oh God, the Um, (laughs) sixties, but it's still, it's pretty, it's, it's a pretty radical insertion in comic book culture. You don't, I, I can't recall seeing much like it in, um, either Marvel or DC or even when I think about it um you know the wild storm and image stuff of the early, of of the turn of the turn of the, into the 21st century either uh, and Busek just sneaks it on in there in a date <laughs> uh-huh. <Yep.
0: laughs> i wanted to uh, throw in a couple other things i, I just wanted to mention it's fun, this feels very scattershot but it's like this is an anthology series it's just there's so much uh, to, to discuss, so I wanted a couple other things I wanted to mention. One is the sense of history. There's a nice scene in the very beginning of uh, of the uh, the confession storyline where uh, the kid who Brian, who at that point is just working in a bar, it's his first job in Astro City, uh, it says, "Who's who's that over there?" and and the bartender who used to be himself a, a superhero explains mm-hmm. that it's Iron Horse the Human Locomotive he's been around yeah. since 1862 Right, which I, yes. I really love. And he's like, oh, I thought Ares was the first one. He's like, oh, well, that was the first one yeah. to get headlines, get but pressed. the hanged man, the old soldier, and we see the old soldier in a, in another story and the, an iron horse, the iron horse kid. Uh, and I love that. The idea that, oh, these guys go back. Uh, y- you know, we've been having these superhuman characters all the way back in time. And the old soldier is almost like a, uh, he's, he's a little Captain America like, but he's also like the spirit of soldiers from all, All times. And he like appears when he's needed, which is really interesting, too. So I I liked I thought it was a really nice touch to to not only have like this rich world, but this rich history that extends you get the sense, you know, way back that anybody even knows. And I just love that uh, that sense of depth back there. It makes me believe in this in this world just with those little tidbits and i 'll share one other one that i that that I like and then and then maybe you can all uh, chime in with things that that you want to mention that we haven 't gotten to yet, which is uh I love that uh issue with the new the new reporter or the who who gets yeah. the story by mm-hmm. from the uh, old uh, the old old guy, the old editor who used to be a reporter. And so it goes back in time. We get to see a lot of things. We get we get introduced to the silver agent, who is a, a definitely a Johnny handsome kind of uh, superhero. But he's introduced as the soup the silver agent, the poor doomed silver agent. And then his yeah. his fate is not revealed in any of these stories. It's just there. You know he's doomed the whole time. And then the the part at the end is so great is that it becomes this funny journalism story at the end where the edit, where the the young reporter. Gets Gets back to the the paper and they're like, nope, you don't have any evidence. You were the only because he goes to another dimension and sees this great battle and comes back. They're like, nope, just the facts. And he rewrites, nope, still not, nope, nope, nope. And in the end, the punchline is that the only story that they allowed him to print is trolley delayed by shark. Just amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and yet again to talk about comic book issues, you should you should teach people in class. This should absolutely be something that is taught in J school. yes
0: (laughs) yes <laughs> it's true it's like yes. you know you, you you have no there are no other witnesses and you have this fantastic story and even if it's true and he eventually does prove that it's true after a, a long time by talking to some of the the heroes who were there it's too late at that point but it's like what are the facts what what's provable and it's completely diluted down to well i returned from that dimension on the trolley tracks along with the mm-hmm. one dead shark man <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> the shark. Yeah. the shark delayed the trolley so that's the yeah. story yeah. No byline either. Made me laugh. But it
1: also talks, but I think one of the journalism bits that I love about that story is how he does eventually like prove the story. And so it tells you that in the back of his mind, there was some professional pride there that's like, I'm going to make sure I can nail the story at some point. Like you just know the first time he got a corroborating witness, he's like, now how can I, is there a way I can publish this? (laughs) But, oh my gosh, no, it's, it's, oh, that's such a great issue. I, yeah, they refer to the, um, the silver agent. And I don't know about you, but I had to pretty much physically talk myself out of going on Amazon and ordering the next six <laughs> Astro City <Yeah>. trades. <laughs> well they're
2: they're up to yeah. thirteen now. Um and the newest now that it's back now that it's at Vertigo, they they're on like issue thirty seven. It's it's I think maybe the the longest sustained run they've had. It's great. Mm-hmm. And not to spoil anything, but we do eventually find out how he became poor and doomed. Yeah.
0: What else? Anything else that uh, that that people want to me- mention about Astro City? Other than it's it's great. I mean, I I was I had no background in it. And I I wanted to say that that I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really great.
1: I love the character designs.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, oh,
1: they're ho- I mean, because they managed to be wholly original, while also subtly simultaneously oh. paying homage to um, their analogs in DC or Marvel, as the case may be, Winged Victory being an especially um, nice case of that. Like I, I think it's great that they've managed to get her and evoke like the Grecian ideal of winged victory and yet at the same time the first time I started I'm like Wonder Woman. <laughs> well
2: and, and part of part of it is that you have Alex Ross working on a lot of the character designs. Yeah. yeah. So it's got that style. It's got that real classic look. And of course he's steeped in the history of all these things anyway, of of the real things that they're making analogues of. And it's just so smartly put together. Yeah,
3: One of the things that struck me um, reading this time around, uh, just the incredible scope of characters. There are so many characters that we only get a – we get not as – like, there's there's the big ones. We get a lot of Samaritan. We get a lot of the Confessor of, of Winged Victory. And then there's this whole second layer of characters, the Honor Guard and uh, that sort of thing, that – we get bits and pieces of we, we get a decent look at like Jack in the box. Um, But we never get his origin. We never get how he started. Um, And we're not sure what happened to him at at the end of the second trade. There's the, the implication is he's been killed, but we don't know. Um, And so many other characters, the, um, you know, we've got Jack in the box and then Cracker Jack, who's just the most (laughs) bonkers um, booster Goldish character
4: played by a young bruce campbell i believe
3: Uh (laughs) yes but but yeah um and you know in the background we have others uh like the speedster is mph and you know we get almost nothing of him other than the fact that um he's a team player and he's the one who sort of spearheads uh getting samaritan and winged victory out for their date uh for one night um you know cleopatra I guess sort of big barda ish she's kind of you know
1: mm-hmm. above
3: mm-hmm. all of all of these things. you get all of these glimpses of all of these different heroes that you know, through as you said, thirteen trades for all of these <laughs> characters to be developed and explored and played with. I
0: wanted to mention cracker jack. I love cracker jack he is yes. he is introduced. Uh, he's, so he's, awesome. <laughs> he's 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 a he's totally takes credit for everything. He's not yep, he's, he's not, not a hero. He is a hero, but he will also talk you into sharing the credit with him and then taking all the credit mm. and he does it again mm-hmm. and again.
3: And apparently he's not completely worried about evidence. You yeah. Know, he'll he, just like Grab some folks up and dump them in front of the police officers and say, here you go. It's
0: not my problem, <laughs> right? And and uh, he doesn't seem to have a secret identity so much as he has a various, like, run of identities that he takes temporarily and then kind of throws away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got the little uh, curly uh, mustache thing. Just, hol- just a hilarious character, because it's not that he's not a hero. He's not a fraud. It's just that he is an awful person. <laughs>
1: His douchebag, Errol Flynn, it's the greatest.
4: Mm. (laughs) It was his, his, in some ways, it's like it's his grading personality that triggered the alien invasion. (laughs) Right. right. Oh, yeah. The best
1: part is he's this completely insignificant, completely incompetent guy, and he does just one thing, and that just sets off the the alien spy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep, my record collection. I have to no, say, boy. as much as I as much as
0: I love uh, Spider Man, I I saw some Spider Man in Cracker Jack. Right, he's like <laughs> he's kind of there's some Spider Man uh, there. He yeah. talks a good game, but uh, that's about all. <laughs> but it's it's beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Uh, so he was one of my my favorite little things. And Jack in the Box. I want to mention. I mean, we we don't get too close to Jack in the Box, but he's uh, he's. Uh, uh, it's a ridiculous a looking a relic ridiculous looking character but um yeah. but I think he's very <laughs> interesting in the in his interactions with a guy who discovers his secret identity and I, I thought that was kind of a uh, it just yeah great character designs nice stuff the the um the Bridwell thing where there's the spy uh, alien spy uh, it gave me almost like a wild cards vibe to go back to the George R R Martin yeah. anthology mm-hmm. it was like that kind of character cuz there's this 50s pulpy alien invasion thing going on that's uh that's you know it's 50s pulpy sci-fi as much as it is uh, Silver Age comics stuff. Just all, all, all good stuff, just all, and not, and not, again, if you're somebody who who hasn't read this, but has read, you know, Watchmen or something like that, the difference is that Watchmen set the table, although I love Watchmen, for a lot of really dark, unfun uh, grinds through superhero tropes, and this is not that at all, not even close. Well, and,
2: And Moore is telling one story, and he has one grim idea that he wants to get across. Whereas this is such a wide range of styles.
3: Yeah, it's yeah. totally wide open. Yeah. That, that you can get something as well-crafted as the confessor. You know, born of a born a priest becomes a vampire, yeah. but you know he's going to be a good man. Tales all this time. Vampire, vampire.
2: Yeah, where yeah. yeah. is a, so so a cross on his chest? On his chest. To, to be and it hurts, painful yeah. does it hurt? Yeah, it helps to, him focus. Yes, yeah, but it's it it's, to, it's to remind him. And Amazing. Not to on the flip side, is...
3: then in like the very last, there's a coda. Uh, issue at the end of the collection for confessions where you have a character a villain that plays with time and causes these interdimensional things and the care and the superhero that stops him is basically a 1940s football player and his little sidekick the base the basket the, the baseball, a baseball player.
0: player yeah slugger
3: <laughs> it <laughs> the, the, the kind of the corniest possible you know that was that was one that made me think the tick <laughs> that that, that yeah. particular character <laughs> Yeah. The, the kind of over the top ridiculousness of it. But but it worked.
0: It was beautiful.
2: Yeah, it's sort of like I mean, I was I was saying this earlier that this is my favorite of the alternate heroes and tropes unless you count The Tick. I mean, this is like good <laughs> stories. I love The Tick, but but this is like well written. The point of conceived. The Tick is basically jokes. Yes, yeah, yeah. it's right. the Mad Magazine version of this. Yeah, sort of thank like
1: you. Mad Magazine is a good way to put it because uh-huh. it's it's basically I'm going to swing for the punchline every time.
2: And it's like mm-hmm. this in in a sense, you know, even when it when it edges up to that, and and there are moments even through the later some, books where it, some it's of the
4: sort of, villains go go a little maybe maybe yeah. a little over that line, unfortunately. Um, yeah,
2: and well, and it it reminds me of a line they used to describe. Uh, in the writers room for the adventures of briscoe county jr that (laughs) yeah trust me trust me Um, they wanted it to be just under over the top which makes a lot of sense (laughs) this actually achieves it yeah Mm -hmm. it it is hard with those characters that are kind of kind of a commentary on
4: other characters kind of a joke uh i think this does it the the better better than the tick does it better than uh venture brothers tries to walk that line a lot with a lot of their characters uh it is clearly uh influenced a lot by the tech uh this does it well i mean it's it's strange i read this pretty early on in my comics reading uh career career is that a word Mm -hmm. past time you know i I (laughs) first got into into comics what uh, would that uh, resume
1: look like (laughs) i'll I'll print it out for you
4: okay Um, yeah put it (laughs) on some nice thick paper Watchmen was one of the first things I read, which was very weird to read Watchmen uh, and not have a huge background in having read a ton of comics. I mean, obviously, you can't live in this country and not pick up a lot of superhero uh, jargon. That's just that's uh, the world we live in. Uh, but I read this not too long after, and I think I definitely got a lot more out of it coming back and reading it, rereading it uh, this weekend. Uh, yeah. There was a lot, you know. There's there's all the superhero tropes I was familiar with from all the other ways that we experience superheroes in you know TV sure. and movies and video games, <laughs> but now I get that added layer. Of you know of several hundred issues of uh, superhero comics that I've now consumed too. So,
0: <laughs> I interrupt this podcast to tell you something that's not quite an ad, although it is self promotion. The incomparable will be at the Now Hear This Podcast Festival in Anaheim, California this October. We're not going to be there alone. We'll be there with dozens of your favorite podcasts, public radio, comedy, storytelling, and us on stage, all in one place. Tickets are on sale now. It's sort of like a Comic-Con, but for podcasts. It's a weekend jam-packed with live performances and special events for podcast fans. Mark Maron will be there with his producer to share favorite moments from WTF. There are live performances of great podcasts like How Did This Get Made, The Moth, Criminal, The Gist, Comedy Bang Bang. I'm very excited. Hello from the Magic Tavern, one of my very favorite podcasts is going to be there. And hey, one of your favorite podcasts is going to be there. It's us. Lots of people from The Incomparable are coming to Anaheim for this. So register today at nowhearthisfest.com. Now, here, H-E-A-R, this Fest.com. Check out special ticket options, reserve seating, VIP express lines, and other stuff, meet, meet and greets, stuff like that. It's October 28th through 30th in Anaheim, California, the happiest place on earth. So go to nowhearethisfest.com for more info, and hopefully we will see you there in late October. Before we go, I wanted to go around in case, because this happens sometimes, in case there's something that's a comic that you've been reading lately that you would like to plug, uh, that you'd like to promote, that you've enjoyed. Uh, It's a segment that I like to call, What Are We Reading? Although, again, don't let the present tense fool you. Something recent that you'd like to mention. Uh, It's always nice to do that. Lisa, do you have anything that you're reading or have read lately that you want to get out there in the world for people to check out?
1: So, did I? I'm pretty sure I talked about Atomic Robo at our last comic book club. Um, did I?
0: Uh, you may have, but hey, uh, it's always good to promote Atomic Robo. Oh, yeah. Right,
1: which is hilarious. The best. And the writer, the writer of that is Brian Clevenger, uh, that's spelled C L E V I N G E R. And, um, I went and got his copy of Avengers and the Infinity Gauntlet, which, um, was a one off he did for Marvel. Um, And long story short, pick it up because the Dr. Doom lines alone are hilarious. Um, Comedy gold. I was laughing and laughing and um, Spider-Man just gets it coming and going in this. It's really funny. And and again, I want to point out that Dr. Doom's lines are comedy gold, especially when he calls shotgun on the spaceship. Um, So (laughs) totally recommend that. Um, Another series that I've picked up a little bit is Secret Avengers. Um, I just finished volume one. Yeah. Which, yeah which I, I really enjoyed. And, uh, so plan on diving in and spending more money on, on that too. Um, and the other thing, and this is off the superhero reservation, but I've been kind of going on a, um, retro indie, indie comic strips terror as it were. And, um, I just finished, uh, reading Alison Bechdel's, um, the essential dykes to watch out for, which spans just years and years and years. And, um, What is, um, you know, again, it's a cast of thousands, so it's a lot like reading your your typical, uh, you know, tights and flights comic book. And um, what's really interesting about it is watching uh, how the, the plot lines and the priorities in the character's lives shift from the mid eighties all the way up to 2007 when Bechdel put the, the strip on hiatus, um, seemingly permanently. Um, so, and it's interesting because her, her art has stayed fairly consistent. And when she does up, update the characters looks, there's all, it's always tied into, to storylines. And, um, I wanted to talk about another female cartoonist uh, slash comic, comic artist who doesn't get a whole lot of um, attention these days, but her name is Marian Henley. And I just read an illustra a graphic memoir she did called the shiniest jewel, a family love story, which is her story of um, a failed adoption in Russia, followed by a successful adoption in Russia, all while her father is dying. And um, it's just, it's so elegantly drawn and written with such warmth and such heart. It's really just a beautiful book. And um, it's available use on Amazon. It didn't get, I don't think it got the attention that it should have, but it's just a great afternoon's read. I really loved it. And um, the, the last few pages have just really stuck with me. So A++ would read, have read again, as a matter of fact. Cool. So
4: Mm-hmm. Tony, what about you? Uh, I, I, I haven't picked up any new series recently, so I don't know if I have anything super exciting to, to add. I just read yesterday the latest volume of Ms. Marvel. I just read the latest volume of Saga. Uh, yeah, so still reading lots of Hellboy and Hellboy spinoffs. That's, that's Tony.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. Dive in. That's uh, the beauty of it. David, any comics that you've been reading lately that you want to mention?
2: Sure. Well, I've been catching up on the Astro City yeah, well, l- Astro the later city. trades that I have not had not read. Um, Astro City. That sounds great. We should do a podcast. I know. About what's that? be, huh, I've been saying that for years. Huh, some kind of city of Astros, you say? I know. Yeah, it's the Houston Tell Astros. Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been rereading the uh, Darwin Cooks adaptations of the Parker novels uh, by Richard Stark, really Donald Westlake. Which are gorgeous, gorgeous in period um, adaptations of these these really hard noir heist novels. Great work, great art, um, and and maybe the best adaptation of those books in any medium. I mean, there have been plenty of movies based on several of them. Now go to the go to the Darwin cookbooks, and I've been reading, catching up on Ms. Marvel, and the the last thing that I bought. As a collection was Spider-Man and the X-Men, uh, written by Elliot Kalin, which possibly has my very favorite comic panel of all time. And you'll know it when you see it. All right. Mm-hmm. Shannon, anything to recommend?
3: I'm, unfortunately, I'm I'm behind on my reading. I've got a stack of things that you all have been recommending, wow. like uh, Brubaker's Fade Out and stuff like that, that <laughs> I need to read. Um, that, like several titles that have been recommended recently. Um but This is um, the I, I Just think... Read
0: What Lisa Tells Me segment.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: <laughs> I subscribe to that mailing list. Yeah.
1: Please read The Shiniest Jewel. Please give Marion
3: Henley some money. It's such a great book. <laughs> but um I did stumble across um hardback copies of um the adaptation of Stephen King's The Stand on um in a comic book store. They were all like <gasps> half off, except um and I grabbed uh, the entire run, except for the last one. That's the one I still need to track down. So I've been, you know, rereading that. The Stand is one of my all time favorite novels ever, ever, ever. Um, and it's really interesting, um, having, of course, read the original book and read Stephen King's expansion of his original book, where he put all the stuff he had to cut out back in. Um, and of course, there was the miniseries um, a number of years ago. And now to read the graphic novel version. Um, and to see what things get emphasized and what things get put away is a rather interesting um, exercise in medium and what things uh, get directed in which way when you change medium. So that's been an interesting experiment, reading through those.
0: And uh, for me, I'm going to recommend one. I, I, too, have sort of slowed down. I'm reading some of the same stuff as always, always that I've talked about before. But I found now uh, I knew this came out, but it's now coming out on Marvel Unlimited. Um it's a mini series, a, a five issue, I think, mini series called X Men Worst X Men Ever. This is written by Max Bemis, who uh, is the lead singer and creative force behind the punk band Say Anything, which is actually, uh, I'm a big fan of that band and his his songwriting. But it's hilarious. It's a guy, obviously, this is a guy who has spent a lot of his life reading X-Men comics. And this is the story of a guy named Bailey, a kid named Bailey who discovers he's a mutant and his power is really dumb and single use because it will kill him (laughs) if he uses it. (laughs) <laughs> and yet he has to live around all the x men in the uh, in the school and what does that mean for him how do you live life when you're a mutant but not a good one uh and it's it's very funny and silly and uh and it looks great uh, I think uh, Michael Walsh is the artist, uh, but Max Bemis' is worst X Men ever. Check it out, especially if you're on Marvel Unlimited. Okay, worst. Yeah, yeah. In. Check it out. You 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 may find it. In, the The why he has to live, at, why it turns out he has to live at the at the Xavier School is horrible mm-hmm. and also laugh out loud funny. So, yeah, yes. check it out.
1: Excellent.
0: <laughs> All right. I think we've reached the end. And let me thank my panelists for uh, for talking about Astro City and also for uh, cajoling me into reading Astro City because I wouldn't have done it if it weren't for this podcast. And I'm very happy that I did. Shannon Suddiv, thanks for being here. Always a pleasure. Uh, David Lohr, thanks for continuing to agitate for Astro City until finally we uh, did it. And, and now I can take a bus
2: ride to Alaska. So... You know, I'm that's good. Yeah.
0: Tony Sindelar Batman, the real Batman is not a vampire. Uh probably not.
4: Okay. Like ninety ninety percent not. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he couldn't be one someday.
0: He's he spends a lot of time around bats, so if dangerous. he works really hard. Yeah, he can yeah. get rabies from
4: this. Probably more likely rabid, actually. <laughs> Uh, Well, you know, a lot of people trace uh, vampire mythology to forms of rabies. That's a fact you didn't ask for.
0: Good Mm -hmm. job, Tony and Lisa Schmeiser. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I had a great time. All right. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye, nerds. (laughs) Kurt Busiek, Kurt, Kurt. kurt. It's pronounced Kurt. Kurt. It's pronounced Kurt. Okay.